I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. I wish you guys could see the holiday lights on 6th Avenue right now. I mean, if you watch my 3 p.m. Eastern show on Fox Biz, you get a front row seat. You can see the Fox Christmas tree in the background. It's gorgeous. And then Radio City up the street. I know everybody talks about the holidays, though, with glee and excitement and glitter. But I also know that some of you are going through very difficult times. In fact, unless you're like Prince Charles or maybe Camilla, all of us have said at one point or another, how am I going to pay my rent this month and my utilities and my credit card bill? And of course, the list goes on. It is extraordinarily difficult living paycheck to paycheck. We know that, especially with inflation still raging. But what's even worse is trying to do it alone. My guest today was a single mom living below the poverty line when she thought, you know what? This is no way to live, let alone raise a child. The going got tough, and so Scarlett Cochran got going. She joined the Marine Corps, then she got a degree from a local community college, and from there applied to and got accepted to Yale Law School. Today, Scarlett is a lawyer who's just authored a book to teach the rest of us her wisdom called It's Not About the Money, A Proven Path to Building Wealth and Living the Rich Life You Deserve. Oh, and by the way, she's got more than 200,000 subscribers to her YouTube channel, One Big Happy Life, where she teaches her viewers about smart investing and living your best life. Scarlett, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Liz, I'm so excited to be here with you today. I mean, the conversation we're going to have, there's no better time than now, because like you mentioned, there's so many people who are experiencing, feeling that pinch right now and want to live a better life. So I'm hoping that today's conversation will give them some real actionable takeaways to help them in their lives right now. It's almost a holiday gift to have you here. Uh, And it's not just, as we said, your story, because that's what we do here on Everyone Talks to Liz, but it's the actual hard advice you're about to give people to do what you did. How? Like a map to kind of pull yourself up. And what I realized, Scarlett, in learning about you is that for a huge portion of your early life, you had a very difficult time starting with your arrival here in the U.S. Tell us about your background. So my parents and I are from 
South America. We're from a country called Guyana. And we came here when I was two years old. And neither one of my parents had graduated from high school. My dad was a mechanic and my mom had an office job. And so in the beginning, we really didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, my parents, they worked really hard, but I just remember our first apartment here in the United States in Brooklyn, New York, it was a one bedroom apartment. So my brother and I had the bedroom and my parents would sleep in the living room on a fold out sofa. And I just remember growing up and there being just a lot of roaches everywhere. Mm. And it was, you know, I mean, we had each other though, right? And so it was our little, little space of happiness. But, you know, now I realize just how hard my parents had it then in the beginning. But, you know, as a child, it, it just seemed normal to me. My parents sleeping in the living room and my brother and I sharing a small bedroom. Well, props to your parents for making you feel like the world could be yours and that they took that chance and did everything they could. I love hearing these stories about parents who care way more about their children than themselves. It sounds like that's how your folks were. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they had to make some really hard choices. I remember my dad working his a day job because he was a mechanic. But when he first came over here to the US, because he didn't have any formal education, and he didn't have any experience that a US employer could call and verify, he started out as a security guard. So he worked at night as a security guard. And then during the day, he went to a technical school to get certified as a mechanic so that he could get a job uh, as mm -hmm. a mechanic. And even when he landed a day job as a mechanic, I just remember him working so many side hustles. He was driving buses, like chartered buses on the weekends, fixing cars just to make extra money so that eventually my parents were able to buy a house. But even with all of that, they also had to make some really hard sacrifices. And they realized that the local public schools were actually not that great, but they could only afford to send one of us to the local private school, the local uh, Epiphany, it was Epiphany Lutheran Catholic School. Mm -hmm. And so they sent me while my brother went to the regular public school because he was seven years older than me. So they thought that he would have an easier time navigating the public school than me at oh. five years old. So, and that's a difficult choice for a parent to have to make. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm really, I'm really moved by this. And, and those, those sort of do or die choices. And what is also important for our listeners to know is that it wasn't just like you got this great education and then you were off to the races. You had your life interrupted because you became pregnant as a teenager. How did that happen? What, what brought you to that point? Right. So I went to, I did go to private school. So I got a great education up to sixth grade. And then I switched over to public school and I graduated with my high school diploma. But again, we're not from the US. My parents don't know anything about college. 
and I didn't receive any kind of college counseling from my high school. So I had no idea how to apply to college, how to get into college, how to afford college. But what I did have was a friend that did that enlisted in the Marine Corps after college, after high school. He was a year ahead of me. So he told me that the Marine Corps was a great way to get some real life work experience, to see the world and also to get money for college. So he took me to the recruiter's office and the recruiter had me take the ASVAB test and I ended up scoring in the highest percentile of the ASVAB, which the recruiters mm. were very happy about. And so I ended up enlisting in the Marine Corps. So just a month after getting my high school diploma, I went off to boot camp. And so then I'm working now as a full-time Marine. I'm 18 years old. I'm stationed on Quantico. And I met a man that was, I, I guess he was 24 at the time, so five years older than me. And look, I was enamored. I fell in love. It felt mm -hmm. like a fairy tale. And it, you know, we both talked about being serious and that, you know, we wanted to meet each other's parents and we would be okay if we had a baby. And I got pregnant as happens when two adults have conversations <laughs> about having babies. And right. then, you know, both of our, our parents were not particularly thrilled because obviously we hadn't been dating that long. And then three months into the pregnancy, he decided that he no longer wanted to be a dad. He no longer wanted to be in the relationship mm. and he wanted me to have an abortion, which I refused because again, I knew, we both knew what we were doing when we became pregnant and my heart and mind hadn't changed as far as this baby went, like as in terms of my love for my baby and my determination to have this baby, even if he wasn't going to be in the picture. So there I was, 18 years old, pregnant with my first child, no driver's license, enlisted Marine, active duty, working full time, but making very little. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here. You you finish out the Marines though, correct? I mean, they you don't get kicked out for that. No, 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 absolutely not. There are female women in the military having babies all the time. We uh, we continue to serve as we can, right? It depends on your job in the military. Luckily, I had a, a desk job. I was admin in 0151. So I, I didn't have any strenuous, like I didn't have a strenuous job. So it was very easy for me to continue doing the work that I was doing. I continued as a Marine, I continued to work out, but of course modified to a safe level for a woman that's expecting. And um, the hardest part though, was really figuring out how to be a full adult. Because when you join the Marine Corps, especially your lower level enlisted, you're living in the barracks. It's basically almost like college. It's like you're living in a dorm, your meals are provided for you. And so, and my pay itself was very low. I was making around 12 or 13, maybe $14,000 a year, but my living expenses were taken care of. But I had no idea how to run a household, how to cook, how to pay bills. I didn't have to do any of those things. I didn't even have a car. 
And all of a sudden now I'm, you know, seven months away from needing to provide a whole household for a child. So I had to figure out, okay, how, how do I get an apartment? How do I get a driver's license? I didn't have a driver's license. Remember, I grew up in New York City. So I was used to just taking the train everywhere. So I had a learner's permit, I had to get a driver's license, I had to buy a car. And you know, my parents were not near me. They lived in New York, I was in Virginia. And this was before the internet is really what we know of today, right? This is 20 years ago. So it was a lot of me just kind of figuring it out on my own and and winging it. And I was able to, you know, within the span of seven months, I got my first car, got my first apartment, um, was able to make, you know, uh, the bare bones home, right? It, It didn't have all the comforts, but there was a crib, it was, you know, safe, at least. And, you know, had my daughter. And then a few months after that, I was actually able to buy my first house. So that was a big jump. And this was all before leaving the Marine Corps. Wait, wow. How did you buy your first house? Because you were obviously very motivated. You wanted to put a solid roof over your baby's head. But how did you figure that one out? So I have to give credit to the internet. I know I said the internet isn't what it is today and there's far more information available now than there was 20 years ago. But thankfully, I was just able to Google how to buy a house once I decided that I wanted one. And let me take a step back and just explain why I even started looking into buying a house. And it's because I was living in these apartments that they were what I could afford at, at the time. I remember my first apartment was $350 a month and it was fully furnished, which was awesome because I didn't have the money to fully furnish an apartment at first. Mm-hmm. And so I'm living in this apartment, It's but it's above a bar. Again, it has roaches, right? Because it's a bar with food and that's what happens oh. when, you know, there's food and in a commercial area. And I just remember waking up in the wee hours of the morning, two, three o'clock in the morning, bar fights happening with my baby just snuggled up next to me. And I'm like, there has to be something better out there. I've got to be able to figure out a way to not have her growing up in this kind of environment. It wasn't what I wanted for me or for her. And so I just started looking into housing options. What would it look like for me to buy a house? Now, here's, I did make the mistake of I didn't know it was a mistake at the time, asking the people around me, well, how do I buy a house, right? The other people in the military. And here I am, E3, lower level en- enlisted. Now I'm a single single mom. And so that has a stigma, even in the military. And so everyone is saying, well, of course you can't buy a house because, and I'm like, but why? And they're like, well, you know, you're just a lower level enlisted. You are a single mom, you have a baby, you can't afford a house. Luckily, I didn't listen to them. I just started to Google how to buy a house. And it turns out it's just math, right? If you understand how to qualify for a loan, it's really about your credit score, your debt to income ratio, and the size of your mortgage that you're seeking in terms of like the mortgage that you could qualify for. And then it's just a matter of figuring out, are there any houses around anywhere near where you live that you can afford? Uh-huh. And luckily for me at the time, we're talking 2003, this was before the housing prices got you know, even crazier in the DC area. And I was able to buy my first town home for $97,000. And as a veteran, I was able to not have to put a down payment down on the house, which really helped me. But again, even at a $97,000, we're talking, 
you know, that might've been a $6,000 down payment if I right. was to put, right. no, that would have been $20,000 if it was, um, well, if I was putting down 20%, but there are so many different types of loans available where you don't have to put a full 20% down. And for me, it was important to be in an environment that was where I wanted to raise my child than to worry about, I was willing to pay the extra in interest or PMI if I had to, to have the kind of living situation that I wanted. And luckily I didn't because of the VA loan. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. What I'm hearing is what I said at the start. The going got tough and you got going. Nobody is going to save you. And this is the collective you, everybody. I'll never forget uh, having a meeting once. I begged for a meeting with Peter Goober, who's this famous, famous film producer. He did The Color Purple. He now owns the Dodgers. I mean, he's just done so well. He is from you know, a suburb of Massachusetts. And he said to me, you have to be the number one participant in your own rescue. You what? have to be that participant. And, and clearly you didn't wait around for somebody to, to save you. And uh, what I find really interesting is what you did next. You went to community college. I did. Yes. I, so first off, let me, I 100% agree with what you said about no one's coming to save you. The way that I've always looked at it is I can't afford to wait around and hope that something around me, the world around me is going to change to make my life easier. Yeah. Right. Because all I'm doing is using up my time for something that may never come, but I do have control of how I show up in my life. And I, I, honestly, I think it was a blessing that no one around me really supported anything that I was doing because I had to learn to be self-reliant. I would either live down to their expectations and the life that I already knew I didn't want, or I had to figure it out on my own, which is a wonderful skill to learn early mm -hmm. on because it mm -hmm. benefits you your entire life. So, 
At that point, I, I started to experience a lot of friction in the Marine Corps. I did before I was pregnant because I think it was, I think we've made a lot of strides in terms of um, equality between men and women inside of the military and like mutual respect for uh, both genders serving in the military. But that wasn't and I'm not saying it's 100% again because it's been a while since I've been in the military but I'd like to think it's it's gotten better but I definitely experienced a lot of friction um because of my gender and then especially so as a single mom as a parent um and also just as a person that had big ideas and big goals and big dreams like the the military at least for a lower enlisted woman is not the place for someone who wants to do things differently and improve things. It's like you stay in your place, you follow mm, orders. True. And so I knew that that was not a good fit for me. And I had always intended to join the Marine Corps and go to college. So I started, I just said, well, I can just start going to college at night doing online classes. So I financed my first computer. I still remember the payment was $50 a month for my mm. first Dell computer. And I started taking mm. classes at night. So my day looked like I would get up at 5.30 in the morning, get Alexis ready, drop her off at daycare, work a full day, pick her up from daycare, spend the evening with her, tuck her into bed, fire up my computer and do my online coursework. And that's and I started with community college because it was uh, really affordable. I, I don't remember. I don't think it was completely free, but it was a significant discount oh, yes. because I was actually very, very discounted and very yeah. high quality in some cases. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. We're going to I'm I'm fast forwarding a bit, but my daughter later on, Alexis, made the decision to go to community college and then she went on and got her bachelor's degree and she actually missed community college. She felt like the professors at community college really, really cared about being good teachers and really, really cared about the students. So she actually enjoyed her community college experience more than her college experience. So what I find really interesting is that from community college, you thought to yourself, I'm going to apply to Yale Law School. What gave you the spark to A, decide you wanted to go to law school, and B, pick Yale, one of the hardest to get into on planet Earth? Well, my goal with going to college in the first place was to land a job that would allow me to afford the lifestyle that I wanted for myself and my daughter, which I think is an important thing and an underrated thing when people think about the career that they want what career is going to pay you what you want to be paid in order to have the the lifestyle that you want and so mm -hmm. that has always been a driving factor for me so in community college and coming from immigrant parents this is a common immigrant story there are basically two acceptable careers it's doctor or lawyer those are the only two and so at there first, are three actually you know doctor lawyer or failure that's right what, exactly that's yes. what my parents yes. always said doctor lawyer <laughs> or failure and I had always leaned more towards the um, sciences. So I thought that becoming a doctor would be great, but this is where I had a limiting belief about, could I actually go to medical school and go through all those years of residency, not making a lot of money, 
with my daughter in tow. And it was something I felt like I didn't want to do. So I made the decision that instead I would aim for to become a nurse midwife. So I would get my master's in nurse midwiferies, which they were making around 100K at the time, fresh out of college. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. So I decided to pursue nursing. I got, I applied to Virginia Commonwealth University's BSN program. And then in my first semester, my first, seriously, the first class I got there, and they told me that I was going to have to do clinicals where I did all of the rotations in the hospital, including handling human bodily waste. And I had to draw the line. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't. And I'm like, okay, it's going to have to be this lawyer thing because clearly this nurse thing, I'm not going to make it through clinicals. And so, okay. Right. So then I decided, okay, it's going to be law. And then the next thing I did was Google best majors for law school. And I found that major was economics. So I became an econ major. And then I Googled how to get into law school. And when I Googled that, that's when I learned that where you go to law school affects your job prospects. And that's when I decided, well, if my if my best job prospects are gonna come from a top 14 school, then I'm gonna do what I can to try to get into a top 14 school. But initially, I mean, of course, you're looking at that number one, which is Yale, and thinking, well, wouldn't that be great? But I didn't fully believe that I could actually achieve that. It seemed like a stretch to me. And so I wasn't going to apply to Yale also because it cost money. It was like $80 to apply. And for me, back then, that $80 was a lot. And to do it three times to apply the, to the top three, Yale, Harvard, and Stanford, and spend $240 on applications was just, it, it was too much of a stretch for me. All of the rest of them, I qualified for a fee waiver because I wasn't making that much money. And at that time, I had a professor who knew my grades, knew my aspirations, and he asked me, why aren't you applying to Yale? And I'm like, well, I don't really think I'm gonna get in. And it just feels like a stretch. And he's like, you have as good a shot as anyone else based oh my on my gosh. grades, based on my story. Oh, and bless so was, his heart. Yeah, Everybody I, needs that guy or that woman in their lives who believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. And on top of that, he was a Yale Law alum. So I trusted his word <laughs> a little bit extra because of that. <laughs> Um, so I was talking to my aunt and uncle about it. They lived in Maryland and I was visiting them and I told them what my professor said, but the money was still a concern for me. Uh, and they offered to pay for it. They wrote me a check right then and there. It's a $300 check to apply to Yale, Harvard and Stanford. And that's how I was able to easily afford it, right? That got rid of my money objection for applying. And I ended up getting into all three. Oh, stop. <laughs> Stop it. Scarlet, Stanford, okay, Harvard, Yale, one, I get, that is so incredible. Props to those schools for seeing in you the glowing, I guess, heart of what really was driving you. And, and but obviously you had to really prove yourself. Right. And, and now as we fast forward, today you're a lawyer, but you are also so generous in sharing all of these secrets and all of these things that you fought so hard to discover. And within the book, it's not about the money. You talk about the seven money capacities to focus on growing in order to master your money. 
let's talk about some of those and share them because I want to end with giving people that gift. Absolutely. I think so often the skills like that skills that it takes to really manage your money well like we focus so much on the budgeting and that how can we save money how can we spend less those really tactical things but how we think about money is really important because it impacts the decisions that we make Mm -hmm. like just look at the story i just told you about applying to law schools And I wasn't going to do it because I had a story in my mind that one, I couldn't afford it. And two, that it would be a waste of money because it was to just try, because if I didn't get in, then I, you know, spent $240 for no reason. And those are some of the stories I was telling myself that had I not been lucky enough to have other people intervene and nip those stories in the bud, I wouldn't even have tried to apply to Yale Law School. And so it's so important, the way that we think about money is so important because it really does impact the quality of the decisions that we make, which then impact the entire trajectory of our lives. So one of the capacities, which I just touched on, is the capacity to lose money. So often our approach to money is one where we try to not lose money at any costs. We fear Mm, the loss, but it's impossible to go through life without losing. It's like going through life without failing at anything. It is absolutely impossible. And when we try to go through life from the perspective of never losing any money, that means we don't take even very good risks, which means we miss out on all of the potential gain in our lives because we're so fixated on losing. Yes, yes fascinating. And and give us one more, one more with a big bow wrapped up in it that you feel helped you to succeed to the point where you are here today advising all of us. I'm going to say it has to be, if I had to pick one, the capacity to earn money. So often it can feel like we don't have control over how much money we make and how we make money, especially when we have children, when we have little ones to care for that we're trying to provide stability for them. And again, we already have this career, we're already on this trajectory, and we're afraid of losing the things that we already have. But it's so important to remember that you always have the capacity to earn more money. You always have the ability to to study and grow your skills and pivot and apply for different jobs that have better benefits that pay you an income that allows you to afford your ideal lifestyle. So always making sure that you're honing your capacity to earn income, that you're never getting complacent. And if there's one silver lining about what we're all experiencing with this increase in this rapid increase in inflation, because inflation was always happening, but it's just that it's happened so quickly in a short period of time that we're now aware of it, yes. is that we all now tangibly know what it is like for our earning pow- like our earning and spending capacity to decrease sharply. Mm. And so now that we're aware of it, we can consciously act in ways so that the next time there is a spike in inflation, because there may be over the course of our lifetimes, we know that we can ramp up our capacity to earn because we've built that capacity over time. 
I want to give you a virtual hug, Scarlett. I really love this. And, and everybody, there's so much more that she could give us, but it's in her book. It's called, It's Not About the Money, A Proven Path to Building Wealth and Living the Rich Life You Deserve. Now, I I believe this may be maybe the second out of several hundred podcasts I've done where I've actually agreed to recommend a book that somebody's written. The reason, you guys, that I'm doing this is because Scarlett has lived it, okay? I've interviewed billionaires on my show who were pushing books on how to make money investing, et cetera. Nuh-uh, no. What I like about this one is that Scarlett had to write her own story after she lived it. And so she knows from whence she speaks. Scarlett, thank you for sharing. Liz, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Great to talk to you. And you guys, I know, I know it's hard. I mean, I can remember going to the ATM when I lived in Columbus, Ohio once a week, and all I would take out was $20. That's it. That's all I could do. Okay. I wasn't making a lot of money at all as a cub reporter in Ohio, freezing, but it is all about the life that you envision. Some people don't envision the life of diamonds and, and chocolate like I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I respect you people, but once you decide what you want, get out there and grab it. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Once again, we wish you a very happy 2023. And by the way, come back again every single time because I can't live without you guys. I really love you. Thanks so much. See you next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.